Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Ken Hellenius, sitting in the frigid territory of South Bend, Indiana, and sitting across from me in the balmy confines of Portland, Oregon, is my beloved co-host, the first man to ever climb the outside of the St. Louis Gateway Arch, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. (laughs) How you doing, Ken? Great to hear from you and see you again, as always. Good to see you. And uh, how how is the cruise? Oh, it was, it was awesome. Uh, it was just uh, absolutely spectacular. Beautiful uh, weather. Just and being being able to spend that much time with uh, not with the couples, which were phenomenal, but just with uh, my fellow Catholic speakers and stuff was just it was a, a great blessing. Great way to start off twenty twenty two. Good. Well, I hope you cruise through the rest of the year just swimming. <laughs> How does that sound? Huh? How much shuffleboard did you play? Two, three, four, five uh, rounds. I mean, uh, per day. No, didn't didn't get around to it this time. Ken. Uh, well, yeah. There's always next time. That's next time. So, how are things at the Nicholas Center? So, uh, things are good. The students actually uh, come back this week, and so uh, school, the spring semester is uh, is getting ready to kick off, and we're delighted to have everybody back. Uh, had had a nice break, and uh, yeah, you know, so. The Omicron variant has has affected some of our some of our work here at the beginning. Of course, you know everybody comes back from having been abroad and and at home and things like that. So so we have a couple of weeks where we're going to be very vigilant and make sure the the community is safe. But uh, but on the whole, we are excited to be back. And I mean that was what we experienced last fall was people are just delighted to be back in person together again and to be able to go to class and to. Do those things that college students do that that are part of their formation and their growth as individuals. And so, yeah, we're we're delighted to be back underway, and we're hoping that uh, we get to go to the March for Life here uh, in just a just a, oh. a week and a half. It's still uh, on, Washington, right? The the March for Life at this point is still on. Uh, last year it went virtual. Um, this year we are anticipating uh, being able to to go. Um, we may have a. a slightly restricted size of our group that gets to go, but uh, we're hoping that uh, that we'll be able to, you know, witness in a joyful way to the dignity and worth of all human life. And here's the real hope. The real hope is that with, you know, the Dobbs case before the Supreme Court and being currently kind of deliberated by the justices, our hope is that this is the last year before Roe v. Wade is actually overturned, that this is the last March for Life where we have to be in, you know, in protest of that terrible 1973 decision. So this could be such a monumental year to, and it is always monumental and important that we witness to the value and dignity of all human life. But hopefully this is the last year we have to do it before that tide is fully turned. So that's our goal and that's our prayer. And uh, we invite you, the listener, we invite all people of goodwill to pray that 
all human life is respected from from conception to natural death, and that we as a church and we as a society support the dignity of all and recognize the dignity of all people so that they get the support, the love, the respect, and the concrete aid that they need to live fully human lives that are um, not in want, not in poverty, and that are not where we value one over another. That's the real goal. And that's why we march. And that's, that's what we're looking forward to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's great. And maybe on, on a practical level, they should, you know, the people say, just pray that they pass the Supreme court people that there are, you know, that are not for life. So I just wanted to see all those people in Washington, DC, just pass the thing. So we don't have to deal with that anymore. <laughs> Gosh, even, you know, I mean, indifference would be, would be a step up to be honest, of, of <laughs> yeah, what yeah. we, we sometimes get. Um, oh but yeah, that's, yeah. it's, a, uh, it's, you know, I will say this, the March for life every January is, if for for nothing else, to see the vibrancy and the youthfulness of the movement. It's so delightful to see college students and younger wearing T-shirts that say, we are the pro-life generation. And they're going to be right at some point, right? And hopefully this is the year that, that yeah, we are the pro-life generation. You know, you and I, Deacon, we're old people at this point. Um, our goal is to form and to encourage and to walk alongside those that are going to continue to build a culture of life and a civilization of love, uh, as Pope John Paul II called it. And, you know, as we discussed when we did our wonderful read through together of Evangelium Vitae, that's the goal to build a civilization of life and, uh, and a culture of life and a civilization of love. Yeah, absolutely. Looking very much looking forward to that day. That's for sure. Amen. Amen. As they say, from your mouth to God's ears. So. <laughs> well, Deacon, we've been reading together the mystery of the Eucharist in the life of the church, the November 2021 uh, document passed by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, which really focuses on what the Eucharist means to us as a church and how we are to receive the gift of the Eucharist and then to how we are to respond to the beauty of this gift. And we're picking up our conversation at the end of uh, kind of chapter one or part one called, uh, you know, the gift of the Eucharist. We're picking up with uh, paragraph 27, the last couple paragraphs before we go into part two about our response. And 27 begins with the, with the um, exhortation that St. Paul emphasizes that communion that we share exists not only among ourselves, but also with those who came before us. And this is one of the beautiful things that I think that the bishops are right to emphasize, and that is that we use the phrase the communion of saints, and that means more than just a big group. It means even those of us who right now are among the saints, among those who are walking in communion with one another, who are walking on that pilgrim journey toward the Lord. Um, and the great gift that we share is the sacrament of the Eucharist that com that binds us all together. And so that's where this this conversation begins tonight. Yeah, that's, uh, that's right. And he talks about the, the accumulism. We talked a little bit about that last time as well. Um, and then right near the end of paragraph 28, it talks about um, uh, the holy days of obligation of, as a vital expression of our unity as members of the body of Christ and the church. Um, you know, and, and some people say, well, you know, these holy days of obligation, you know, 
I'd rather call them holy days of opportunity. You know, because obligation. I mean, I mean that that's the word that the words church use. That's fine. But it's right. like, oh, I I have to. You know, like like I I they're making me go. I mean, you see, it kind of has that in 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 modern connotation. That's the sense. Sure. But it really should be an opportunity. You know, and sometimes people complain. I have to go to church two days in a row. I mean, come on. You know, the <laughs> bishops made it even easier now that some of the holy days of obligation are abrogated if they fall on a on a, a, a Saturday, Saturday or, whatever, or something yeah. like that, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. like this year, Mary, Mother of God, was on a Saturday, so it right. wasn't a holy day obligation because it was on a Saturday. So, I mean, so the bishops even made it, but e- easier. But I think these are opportunities for us to recognize um, the great gift of the Eucharist within the context of a, a, a really special um, recognition. So, for example, Mary, Mother of God, right? That's how we start the year off every year on January 1st with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, with the context of Mary being the, the God-bearer, you know? Right, right. And, um, and what, what a powerful way for the Church to start off her year reflecting on the mystery of Mary's motherhood, you know, uh, and, and the life of the Church. I think it's a beautiful way to bring us even, even into deeper communion and intimacy with the Lord, which is exactly what Mary wants us to do. You know, and so I think these are these are opportunities for us to even draw closer to the Lord and to the realities and the mysteries uh, of our church. Yeah. And, you know, I think you're you're right. The bishops are trying to emphasize that that our response in this case in participating in the Eucharist on Sundays, every Sunday and on Holy Days of Obligation, is an opportunity to show our love in response to the love that God has first shown us. There is, of course, an aspect of justice in our response, right? When we receive a gift, for example, those of you who got gifts at Christmas, when you're given a gift, you know, the appropriate thing to do is to send a thank you card, right? Is to is to acknowledge the gift and to to properly respond to it. When we receive the gift of Christ himself in the Eucharist, our proper response is to give thanks to the Lord. And we've used, we've explained this before, but the word thanks, to give thanks, thanksgiving in the in Greek is Eucharisteia, is that's what Eucharist means is to be, is to give thanks. And so to receive the Eucharist is itself our response to the gift of the Eucharist. And so it's an act of justice, just the same way that you write a thank you card for a Christmas gift or a birthday gift. Um, but the um, the bishops are emphasizing, yes, there, sure, there is this justice aspect, but it is also an act of love. Because when we spend time with those that we love, we are giving love back to them. And that is what our response truly is. And so they end this paragraph by saying, we have been reborn in baptism and nourished by the Eucharist so that we may live in communion with God and with one another, not only today, but also in the fullness of the heavenly kingdom. So this is not just for right now, but it's also a foretaste of what we will get in heaven, what we will experience and receive in heaven is this heavenly kingdom where we are nourished by God and in communion with him and with one another. They go on to finish with, to worship God on Sundays then is not the mere observance of a rule, the justice aspect, but the fulfillment of our identity, of who we are as members of the body of Christ. Participation in the mass is an act of love. 
So again, yes, the justice aspect is there, but the love response is even more important. And it seems to me that the bishops in choosing to express it that way are really speaking to, we might say the zeitgeist, right? The idea of doing something out of love is a much easier sell than saying, do this out of justice. You must do this. I love spending time with you, Deacon, but in justice, I do it because it's a commitment you and I have made to the listeners and, and you and I have made to our friends at Modern Day Radio. That's the justice aspect. But I love spending time with you and with producer Aaron. And so, of course, I'm going to hop on this on this grenade, as it were. You know, I'm responding out of love and we respond to God's love for us by participating in the Eucharist. Yeah, I, I love when it says there that uh, it's an act of love, you know, because that, that's exactly what it is, yeah. you know, but we yeah. don't think of it like that. You know, no. th that's and that that's part, we, we don't think of it. I don't think we teach our kids that, you know, we teach them the mechanics of it. But we don't teach them really the very core of it is is an act of love. Um. And, and I, for example, I'm going to be doing a, a number of men's conferences uh, over the next several months. I've already been preparing since I'm going to be gone quite a bit, like back to back. So I'm looking ahead and preparing these talks now. And and I'm and I'm looking at the men that are. In fact, one of the conferences wants me specifically talk about the struggle that men have in their faith. Like, why do they prefer football on Sunday over going to mass? You know, because they don't know. In a sense, they love the football, but they don't love the mass, right? Because they, they don't see that mass as a participation in Christ's love, you know. You see, so th there needs to be a definite paradigm shift in the way we think about and approach the holy sacrifice of the mass. Something to be longed for and desired, you know, um, with a different passion, with a deeper passion than for material things of the world. So we should. The desire that we have for Christ and being with him and receiving him should be at a whole different level than football or pizza or something else that we're longing for or desiring. Yeah, yeah. I I have rarely seen anyone wear a a, a saint jersey to a, to a Sunday mass. And by that, I don't mean the New Orleans saints, <laughs> but I mean, you know, uh, I have seen people wear Seahawks jerseys and, you know, chiefs jerseys and things like that. And, and it's funny because you see that and, you, and, and it distracts me from what is taking place right here, right now, what is taking place right here, right now in this church is much more awesome than anything that takes place on the gridiron. And I say that as somebody who loves to go to Notre Dame football games. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, oftentimes people will confuse Notre Dame football with liturgy. It's not. They're not the same <laughs> at all. I mean, sure, we have touchdown Jesus and all those sorts of things, but it's not liturgy. Um, what we are participating in is a cosmic event, not simply something that fills your Sunday morning. We are stepping outside of time and into a cosmic reality. Um, and that's, I don't know that most of us are programmed to understand or appreciate that yet. And yet what you are advocating, I'm, I'm going to assume is, is helping people understand that and beginning to recapture that mystery and the joy that, that it, that invitation is to participate. And what is this document even called? The mystery of the Eucharist in the life of the church. Um, 
how do we capture the and and recapture and encourage such that we want to respond yeah that we that we're choosing christ over everything else and this is a, an opportunity to do that you know yeah. since the um um the dispensation was put in you know it's been obviously been lifted now but but i think inadvertently that uh shifted things in the wrong direction as far as people's thinking about what mass is and my importance to be there you right. know and there are parishes still struggling to get people to come back after uh the dispensation has been lifted and people are can come back to church people still aren't coming back so that's why i think this document is very timely and i hope that you know through our efforts here at living stones and uh and that through the efforts of of pastors and parishes and and religious education folks they really take time to break open this document um and and feed it if you will to the faithful so they can really have a deeper understanding appreciation of the greatest gift that Christ left us with, you know, after yeah. he went back to the Father, you know, and that this is really about love. This is a love affair. You know, this is intimacy and union, all the things that our hearts long for and desire is all there in the Eucharist. Yes. Amen. Again, from your mouth to God's ears, as they, as they say. <laughs> no, actually, from your mouth to our listeners' ears, and to my ears, and to the ears of all the faithful throughout the world. That's the goal. Well, this so now it's time that we begin to explore what the bishops have to say, what it should be our response to the gift of the Eucharist. So section two is all about our response, and they're going to explore it in four parts. Thanksgiving and worship, transformation in Christ, ongoing conversion, and food for our pilgrim journey. So those are the four ways that we respond to the gift of the Eucharist. And uh, it's going to begin with um, with this. Uh, so again, paragraph 29, they're quoting, and I think I've actually mentioned this before uh, here in our discussion. In the fourth common preface of the Roman Missal, the priest prays the following, quote, for although you have no need of our praise, yet our thanksgiving is itself your gift since our praises add nothing to your greatness, but profit us for salvation. So I love this phrase. That's the end of the quote, obviously. I love this phrase. You have no need of our praise, yet our thanksgiving is itself your gift. The entire act of worship is God inspiring us to respond and inviting us and giving us then the words and the tools and the ability to respond. And that is a gift of grace that comes from God. God gives us this free gift to inspire us to give thanks and to worship him. And at the same time, this changes us as people. It helps us, as the bishops say, helps us to seek pardon and to receive it when we fall into sin. And it then impels us to go forth and bear witness to Christ in the world. So that's what we're going to be exploring in this section here. So section A is all about part A. Part one is thanksgiving and worship is part of our response. Yeah. And the other thing is that Christ, uh, God tells us how he wants to be worshiped. Right. <laughs> you know? right. We don't have to guess. I mean, in the old Testament, he told us how he wanted to be worshiped with the, with the sacrifices, uh, both the, uh, the Zarach sacrifices, the, 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 the shedding of blood, the, the animal sacrifices, and also the Asa sacrifices, 
of bread and wine and oil and things that that don't bleed. So, and in New Testament, Jesus tells us, "Do this, <laughs> do this in memory <laughs> of me." On. Yeah, he tells yeah. us how he wants to be worshipped. And, and so, the first section is about thanksgiving and worship. You know, it says, "Even our manner of giving thanks comes from God." For we do so by following the command of the Lord. Do this in memory of me, right? Luke twenty two nineteen, which yep. you just talked about. So the Lord tells us how to be, he wants to be worshipped. And then it quotes from the Second Vatican Council, that very important phrase, that we should take full, conscious, and active participation in the liturgical celebration. Now, interesting, when you look at that in Latin, the word they use for active is, is actuosa. Because a couple different words in Latin, so uh, you would think the word you would see is activa, because right. I mean, duh, it's just active with an a at the end, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's is, that's where you get the word active, like active, do actively engaging and phys like doing things and physically doing stuff, but that's not the word that they use there. It's, it's the other word, octuosa or octuositatem, which is a deeper, richer, inner participation in something. You know, so it's yeah, not yeah. actively like do, but but there's a, a contemplative, a meditative, a reflective way of participating in the reality of something. You know, I, I like to think of it as being fully present. So there's there's a difference, right? In I I can go to a classroom and sit there and go to class, where I'm literally just sitting there and I'm surfing the internet on my laptop while the teacher is yammering on about whatever I'm supposed to be there learning about. That's, I may be present, but I'm not present. To be actuosa, to be actually present, means to be engaged in what's taking place. Listening, thinking about, reflecting on, and letting it become part of who I am. So that this knowledge is not just out there around me, but is becoming part of me. And, and I'm actually being actually engaged. That's the idea that I get from actuosa participation myself. Yeah, no, I, I love that, Ken. And if, in real simple analogy, think about it like this. So if um, when it comes to the liturgy of the word, for example, if you were activa participating, you'd be a lector, right? You get up, right? a reading from the book of Job, and you, right? And the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. That, that, and then you go sit down. That, that's, you're actively participating. But all the people who are listening are also actively participating, but that's the act to also participate. Cause what you're doing as you're listening to God's word, you're saying to yourself, how is God speaking to me right mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. how, how is this word penetrating my heart? How, how is, how is this word of God connecting to my everyday lived experience right now? That's the deeper participation that you were alluding to. Can that actually participating, if you will? Yeah. And the bishops even use this very direction. They say, we become conscious of this gift. Again, the gift of the Eucharist. We become conscious of this gift when we actively engage our minds, hearts, and bodies to every part of the liturgy, allowing God through the words, actions, gestures, and even the moments of silence to speak to us. That is active, conscious, full participation. Not whether or not you have a, a role, you know, as a lector or as a, as a minister of some sort, but to, again, 
to actively engage your mind, heart, and body to every part of the liturgy. That's what the church invites us to. And that's and and again, remember, this is all in the section of our response to the gift of the Eucharist. This is how we respond to the Eucharist fully by letting the entire act of worship become engaging and to engage and let it become part of us. In uh, their ad limina visit to when John, when John Paul II was still Pope, the bishops of the Northwest did their, their every five-year visit, that ad limina visit. Yeah. And during that, during that time, I think Archbishop Vlasny was Archbishop at the time. John Paul II put out a statement after that. He said, one of the ways that we can be most active at the Mass is by being silent. <laughs> I yeah. said, yes, because we're afraid of silence at Mass. You know, yeah. and some, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, responsorial psalm, you know, then hallelujah, and then, and then all the songs of communion, you know, it's like they're afraid of silence. This is too much of the culture penetrating the church, and right. the church should be counterculture. We should be embracing silence, because yeah. there's hardly any silence in the world. The, the mass should be a place where, we, where there's places and opportunities to embrace the song so we can listen to God speaking to our hearts. That is something that I've always appreciated about my pastor is after communion. Of course, we have a communion song, you know, that we, that we may sing together or, you know, may participate or not. But then after he's done, after, you know, he's, he's uh, uh, cleansed the vessels and the altar has been, as uh, you know, the altar cloth has been put away, he goes and sits in his chair and we will have several moments of silence. And the first few times you experience that, it can be very awkward when you're See? sitting yeah. in a church full of, you know, three, four, five hundred people to be silent for 30 seconds. Then after it it begins, you're like, oh, I, I have a moment to pray, to appreciate what I have received. And I'll tell you what, for radio, silence is a killer. Yeah, but in yeah. church, <laughs> in church... It's a wonderful thing. It's a chance for God who who himself made himself known in the silence to so many of the prophets. It was in the silence that God was heard. And that's where we encounter God when we are quiet with him, we can hear him. That's the invitation. So, amen. Well, Deacon, it's time for us to be silent tonight because we've actually come to the end of our time together. This is uh, There's so much beautiful stuff here in this document, the mystery of the Eucharist and the life of the church. We invite you to download it. Uh, we'll have a link there on our Facebook page at Living Stones Media. You can also download previous episodes of this show and hear the rest of the conversation at moderndayradio.com. But Deacon, until we gather next week, might we have a blessing? May Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.